0: Welcome to Neurons to Nirvana, a platform for creative forces that embrace the unconventional and the quest for artistry, humanity, innovation, health, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey celebrating experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms, from inside the mind to the far reaches of the universe. This is Neurons to Nirvana. Madison, thank you so much for joining me. Madison is a journalist covering psychedelics, cannabis, spirituality, and Jewish life. She is the co-founder of Double Blind Magazine. She's written for many publications, Rolling Stone, Playboy, Vice, and then she's also you're also the co-founder of the Jewish Psychedelic Summit, which began...
1: I think we started in 2021, okay. if I'm not mistaken. So yeah,
0: a couple of years, and then you're also the host of a great. I've listened to a few episodes uh, on the Be Here Now uh, network, Set and Setting with Madison Margolin. So I was able. I feel uh excited to share with the audience. Like I mentioned before, I've read most of this, or a lot, of large portion of it. It's called exile your book is called exile and ecstasy growing up with ram das and coming of age in the jewish psychedelic underground first off in the introduction it says judaism is psychedelic one of my best friends stephen i just showed him that very phrase and he said well did you know that moses was on uh the top of mount sinai for 40 days with god whispering him I said, I know, isn't that crazy? Because if you and I came down and said that (laughs) that had happened or about the burning bush, we'd be in a straitjacket, right? (laughs) How is Judaism psychedelic? I know that's a very vast, uh, open... Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I really believe that to be true. Um, And, you know, I guess let's start with like how I'm defining psychedelic. But, you know, something that... um, expands our consciousness um and puts us into a space of really identifying with the soul and identifying with the soul as inhabiting a body. So there's an embodiment element to it as well. Um and psychedelics al- often also connect us to nature, to God, to community, to self, um, to beyond the self, you know, past the ego. So there's all these elements of psychedelic experiencing. And I've noticed through the practice of Judaism, even with or without a substance, but just through practicing the rituals and following the calendar and the flow of the week in and out of out of Shabbat or the Sabbath, um, and you know practicing different holidays, that these are all different opportunities to alter our consciousness and to be, you know, to do embodied techniques that ena- enable us to transcend ourselves and connect more with a spiritual energy. Um, so that's one part of it, just in kind of face value. And then, um, based on my research, you know, I read a book that really changed my life called Magic of the Ordinary, um, by Gershon Winkler. And it's about kind of rediscovering the shamanic in Judaism. And he talks about how the original tribe before we even had a Torah and before there was like, a you know, the people of the book, but just the, the Israelite tribe, um, was more akin to a Native American shamanic earth based tradition than the bookish, academic, Christianized form of Judaism that we're familiar with today. And, you know, again, when we think of Native American religions and traditions, those are, um, you know, cultures that incorporate in theogenic plants. They're cultures that are aligned with the movements of the sun and the moon and the stars and the seasons and are very connected to nature. And again, what is psychedelic, if not something that connects us to the nature of ourselves and the nature around us and the nature of God? Um, So I read this book and realized how many instances in Jewish history and in Jewish practice today that, you know, engender um, both reflect altered states of consciousness as they've now been crystallized into a religion. And then also through the practice of that religion, continue to engender altered states. Um, And again, there have been various moments throughout history, as documented in the Torah, but also in, you know, Jewish history through different um, leading rabbis and and different movements, how much opportunity there is to connect uh, with expanded consciousness and and with the soul. And that is psychedelic.
0: Yes, it is. Very psychedelic. Um, So... To give a little bit of background to the audience, you, your father, Bruce, he was good friends with Ram Das. That's the premise of. Um, and can you explain where Be Here Now comes from?
1: Yes. Yeah, so Ram Das, whose um, English name is Richard Alpert, was a researcher at Harvard um, in the psychology department. Looking into psychedelics, he was working alongside colleague Timothy Leary and others like Ralph Metzner, and so forth. And um, he, the, the administration basically deemed that their research had gone too far. They, um, I think, were tripping alongside their subjects, and also had given psychedelics to undergrads. And they got expelled. And Ramdas or Richard Alpert kind of was looking for what was further, what was beyond just taking acid, com- getting high, and coming down. He ended up in India and became a disciple of a guru named Kurli Baba or Maharaji, adopted the spiritual name Ram Dass, which means servant of God, technically, and um, wrote Be Here Now, um, which sort of distilled the teachings of the guru. And so Be Here Now presence is kind of like the, the cornerstone of, of mindfulness and, you know, again, when you're tripping on psychedelics, what does it do? But really, like zooms you into like the present moment and the sort of transcendent, timeless nature of the present moment. Um, and you know, I grew up with Ramdas as a family friend because my dad had been in India uh, where he met Ramdas and met the Guru, and a lot of the ethos of be here now was steeped into my upbringing.
0: And you also met Timothy Leary at a young age. That's all in the books. At least yeah, as, of as a baby, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah.
1: I, you know, I, I can't say I really remember Timothy Leary that well. I think I was maybe four years old at his funeral. Um, I don't remember what year he died, but I do remember that I was very young. Um, and, but yeah, again, he was a, one of my dad's friends. My dad had a lot of eclectic friends. Um, so, yeah. And Timothy Leary was, you know, whereas Ram Dass was really about like, integrating psychedelic consciousness into a sustainable spiritual practice, Timothy Leary went the other way and kind of became a psychedelic evangelist.
0: That's right. Um, Yeah, Richard Alpert or Ram Dass, he moved away from basically leaning so much on LSD per se and making it more about consciousness, obviously, But also, your dad, did he meet Maharaji as well? He spent time with him. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My dad was in India on a sabbatical. He's a, so my dad's a criminal defense lawyer specializing in marijuana cases. He started his practice in the 60s, which was a really good time to get into drug law. Um, And, you know, at, at a certain point, he wanted to really see like what was, what else there was to life you know he he experienced death very early on in life both his brother and his father died by the time he was 19 and you know he was successful in law but he wanted to see what else was out there so he took a sabbatical and went to India and did a meditation retreat uh, vipassana which is silent meditation um, with goenka and then randomly um, ran into Ramdas met Ramdas at a hotel in Delhi and he's like, "Oh, well, I guess like my work here is done." Like I met Ramdas, and Ramdas is is said to him, "No, no, no! Like you have to meet the Guru. Like anything you see in me is just a reflection of Maharaji." And so Ramdas led my father to go meet um, the Guru, and my father became a disciple, or devotee, rather is the word that they use. And um, the Guru said to him, "You know, my dad was really ready to just call it a day and become a hippie and stay in India." And the guru said, "No, you have a skill. You're helping people. Like the best way to serve God is to serve others." And so he sent him back to America um, to continue his law practice.
0: And your dad also ran for governor, right? Yeah. So his
1: his whole shtick is marijuana legalization. Yeah. Um, you know, at this point, he kind of put himself out of business because uh, weed is <laughs> yeah. legal in California. But um, yeah, it was just his lifelong campaign to you know defend. Uh, criminal cases involving cannabis and also to advocate for policy change.
0: Um, for me, I loved reading the book because, uh, it took me back to when I was a student at the university of Georgia, uh, my Eastern religion class. And then also, uh, I have a lot of friends that are Jewish. One of them being Stephen that I had mentioned at the beginning and, uh, I was looking up all these Yiddish terms, and then I realized that you had a glossary at the back. But I didn't know that towards the end. But uh, it's very fascinating. Uh, what about the term Hindu? Do you want to? You mind elaborating on that?
1: Yeah, so it's sort of a made-up term that we use. Um, it's basically a lot of people. My dad, Ramdas, A lot of the people in that community are. Jewish and coming from Jewish backgrounds, especially post Holocaust American, you know, East Coast Jewry, and a lot of them went to India and have engaged with Hindu practices, and so the term Hindu is um, kind of what they use to describe themselves.
0: There is uh, a portion of decent portion of the book where you are. You talk about it, and I must say maybe I would have finished the whole book if I didn't... You mentioned uh, the chapter beginning is The Magic Jews. And that was an article that Hamilton Morris had written for Vice back in 2008. And he is uh, his series was probably one of my favorite docu-series of all time, Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. It's fascinating. But uh, I read that article, so I sort of deep-dived and rabbit-holed in that. <laughs> but um, the correlation, I mean, you when you moved from – you studied at Columbia Journalism School, and you were sort of bouncing back and forth from – you went to Berkeley. But mm-hmm. uh, do you mind sharing how you sort of got immersed into the underground? Scene? Yeah,
1: so – You know, I went to Berkeley, did the whole hippie thing there. I lived in a co-op. After college, I lived in Israel for a little while, Um, and then I got into grad school at Columbia Journalism School. And every kid in my reporting 101 class uh, was assigned to a different ethnic community um, to report on, and so I was given the uh, Hasidic Jews in Brooklyn because I was one of two Jews in the class, and my professors thought that I would have easier access to the world's most insular uh, <laughs> religious community, right. um, which was funny that they thought that. Um, but it, it worked. It was obviously very meant to be. And I ended up meeting some people there who the first, the only people who would talk to me were these, it, the term is called off the Derek or off the path. It's people who, You know, we're born into it, but are not necessarily practicing Judaism in the traditional Hasidic way anymore. It's sort of a spectrum. The term could sometimes be pejorative, but so I met those were the people who would originally talk to me, and they were telling me how they were doing all of these like psytrance festivals and camping and doing all sorts of psychedelics. And I said to myself, having had a bunch of my own psychedelic experiences by that point. You know, if if you're coming from such a religious background, like how can Judaism not factor into your trips? Like the psychedelic, you know, uh, forces us to like go into ourselves, and with Judaism being so present, like you know, is it is it coming up? Can you have a Jewish experience with psychedelics? And so, I I didn't write about it for that very first semester class. I thought it was like too risque. Um, but the second semester, I returned to the idea and put out a call to Facebook saying like, who knows anything about Judaism and psychedelics. And I got connected to a person who has now become a good friend of mine, Yosef Needleman. And he wrote He had written a book called Cannabis Hasidus, um, like the ancient and emerging Torah of drugs. He, you know, he's a, a guy from Brooklyn. He lives in Israel. He basically wrote a whole book about, you know, weed and Torah. And it's, it's a really fun memoir style book. And I said to him, I'm like, it's great talking to you, but I need someone in New York. And so he said, okay, you have to meet um, Aaron Gnuth, um, who was basically one of the main characters in the magic juice story that Hamilton Morris wrote. And so I met Aaron, and I met a a few other friends that Aaron introduced me to. And I ended up, you know, really just like, like I, I met this community and I'm like, oh, like these are not people I I want to objectively report on and just call it a day and move on. But I felt like I was with family, you know, like they kept inviting me to Shabbos or different holidays. And, you know, as a as a Jew and not just as a reporter, I was having like a very personalized experience with it. I was then invited to do ayahuasca um in these sort of Hasidic-ish environments, you know, singing nigunim or like old Jewish tunes, um, you know, where where the the religion itself became the framework for the ceremony through the rituals, um, the music, etc. And um,
0: which I found fascinating. Sorry to interject, but you also integrated ikaros from the actual tradition of, uh, you know, of ceremony and. From its origins in South America, the Amazonian Basin, as well, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so there was, yeah, it was a whole blend of Icaros and Jewish medicine music, you could say. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, it was just, it really transformed my relationship to religion and psychedelics and myself and community and so forth.
0: Have you participated in a ayahuasca ceremony outside of the experiences that we just discussed.
1: Yeah, in in more recent years I've had a few opportunities to sit with indigenous shamans from South America from uh from Brazil, um maybe also from Peru. I'm I'm forgetting where they're from, but I have I have sat in ayahuasca ceremonies that were like traditional uh South American lineage.
0: And how does that compare to your first uh Yeah, I
1: mean, I still also, you know, when I do ayahuasca, I kind of, I think I prefer the Jewish environments because for me, like the music is more from like my own kind of uh, soul heritage. And I like the familiarity of being in an environment that is singing songs that I feel like I know on like an intergenerational level of my soul. And, um, having it be contextualized in, in the framework of prayer. Um, and you know, the way that I pray is, is kind of like a Jewish, you know, is Jewish style, I guess. And so it it really, but I understand also that some people who are coming even from ultra religious environments, maybe specifically want something that feels more foreign. Um, you know, and I just think it just depends on your relationship to religion.
0: And of all the psychedelics, do you have a preference or do you hold them special in different ways or do they have different meanings in in your life?
1: Um, Each, yeah, I do hold each one special and they all have different meanings and associations, but I will say that if I had to choose a favorite, it would be MDMA.
0: Have you done the the therapeutic or just... In private uh, groups on your own, wherever that may be.
1: Yeah, I mean, to officially do it therapeutic, you have to be signed up with a, you know, like in a clinical study. Yes. Um, so I have not participated in a clinical study. I mean, I have done MDMA in ways that um, were therapeutic or felt therapeutic. Um, but I also, you know, sometimes will do it as integrated with the holiday or, you know, um, it's, you know, it just depends on the different environments. I mean, the last time I did it was on the Jewish holiday of Simchat Torah, um, which was a couple of weeks ago. It was actually the, I did it the night before the, the war broke out, um, which broke out on, like, Simchat, the, the way the holidays start is that it, um, the day starts at night, you know, so Shabbat starts at sundown and goes until an hour after sundown the next day from Friday night until Saturday night. So Simchas Torah was the same day as Shabbos. And so I did it that that night.
0: So that was October 6th or 7th?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, Did you know anyone who was at the music festival or?
1: Um, I personally don't. I know of like my friend of a friend's, Son was there, and I think um passed away um I yeah i I mean I don't yeah personally know, but i everyone knows someone who knows someone basically
0: right tell me about your personal relationship in the audience with Ram Das,
1: yeah, so I like I said, he's my dad's friend or was was my dad's friend um, and I always saw him as more. Like one of the guys, you know, like just, I was a kid, so I didn't really know that he was famous, quote unquote, or that, you know, like being here now, like I didn't know that book was a big deal, or maybe in more recent years, it's become a bigger deal, or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, so I kind of grew up thinking, like, you know, just thinking nothing, that, not, not thinking that much of it. Um, you know, Ramdas did officiate the, marriage ceremony of my dad and my stepmother. And, you know, I also, he was in the house here and there come over for dinner or come through when he was, you know, in town or, you know, I visited him in Hawaii at some point. Um and I yeah, like I I kind of like had a little bit of like this angsty teenage thing, um, as I got older because I was rebellious toward my parents and I just saw Ramdas as being associated with them. So I I didn't really like respect him in the way that I do now. Um, But I think it was also that rebellion that got me to actually really appreciate his teachings, but I had to come to it on my own.
0: Yeah. And you, you mentioned in the book, you were coming of age, you were early teens. And uh, I mean, he was the, he officiated uh, your stepmother, dad's, ceremony and um you'd mentioned that you were upset about your parents splitting up and then that had to been kind of strange because you see his massive following and then here you are you you have the privilege of seeing maybe who he was just merely as a friend of your of your dad so yeah uh, that was probably (laughs) a little strange or surreal as well yeah
1: and i didn't like at the time you know for them it was a big deal like ramdas is officiating the marriage but for me i was you know it was not long after my parents got divorced and i was just you know angry and i think i was like 11 or 12 years old and just you know i was like oh ramdas isn't you know and at this point I, i mean i love my stepmother like she's i she's really like you know she's one of my parents like i really love her but it took time for me to to accept her in our family. And I I definitely at the point when my dad married her, I wasn't ready. And so I was just mad at everyone, including including Rob Bass, um, for being involved in that. Yeah,
0: Someone as a Gentile, um, but has uh, numerous of my close friends are are Jewish. You know, I think it's fascinating because one of the reasons – going to how I came across you, is that you gave us a talk at, about Judaism and psychedelics. I used to and dabble doing open mics here in Austin, and and I used to say a joke along the lines of something, who's to say that Moses, when he saw the burning bush, he wasn't on some form of mescaline? <laughs> And, you know, some people would laugh like you, and then other people would get all uptight about it. But that's kind of, that was the beauty of it. But in relation to your book, I mean, is there anything that you want to share?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I, you know, I, I use my personal story. Like, I kind of try to use myself as a character to explore, you know, the efficacy and... Just the realm of psychedelic and spiritual consciousness. And I don't think it has to be, you know, it's not, I think Jewish people will appreciate the book, but I don't think it's only for Jews. And, you know, I think, you know, and also by the same token, I think people who have done psychedelics or who are interested in Ramdas will appreciate it. And you don't have to be into those things either. I mean, I think it's really like, you know, A, if you appreciate memoir and like these sort of coming of age stories, like, it's that that's there and be like, if, if you have had the experience, which I think most people have of needing to just like reconcile where you come from. And, you know, so many people have the experience of leaving home and have having trauma or complicated relationships with their families or uh, the cultures that they come from or having any kind of inherited trauma. And, you know, you know it's a kind of like a, a story of like how do you deal with yourself you know <laughs> how do you explore yourself right how do you you know how do you move through life and apply the lessons and the ethos of spirituality and mindfulness and psychedelic journeying into into how do you put that into practice and how do you live by it in a way where you don't necessarily even need the substances all the time and when you you know I don't want to ruin the end of the book for anybody but um You know, a lot of the experiences that I've had um, have been very psychedelic, but they haven't motivated me to make it something I feel like I need to do all the time. Um, It's really more about how do you live a psychedelic life in general. And, you know, there's also another element of the story for people is just like, you know, it's like if Hunter Thompson were a Jewish girl. (laughs) you know, and, and spoke a little Yiddish, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you know, there's that too. So, so it's just kind of hopefully entertaining. Um, a lot of it is my trip tales, but again, it's, it's, um, hopefully to to a greater point.
0: I'm glad you brought that up. Cause, uh, when I was reading it last night, uh, I saw maybe you were talking about stylistically, how, maybe I should just go straight Gonza. And being a huge Hunter S. Thompson fan, I, of course, picked that up immediately, the uh, Gonzo style of journalism. For me, coming of age, I have used psychedelics as, uh, of course, not not in a formal setting, mushrooms. Uh, I didn't do PB&J like you had mentioned in, in the book, but... Um, we put it on pizza and then we'd go to like rock concerts or go see jam bands like fish and whatnot. But, uh, it was not until much later that it became a, uh, really when, when my dad got sick with cancer, um, with cannabis, I got him, I've mentioned this before on the podcast to, he was straight, he was also an attorney, but, uh, Commercial litigator, and I got him to finally. He smoked pot in the sixties, but it was just wasn't his thing. But in the sense that I got him to try and eat pot brownies, he was very grateful and thankful. But then he was also my best friend. So after he passed away, that's when I went into the realm of the ceremonies like ayahuasca. And the reason why, one of the reasons why I'm bringing this up is I want to get your take on. The importance of integration. If you could elaborate on y- your feelings on that,
1: yeah. So that's you know that's the what I really want people to come away with from reading the book is that you really don't need the substances in your life all the time in order to live psychedelically. and That's right. That's what integration is about: is taking the consciousness and uh, co- uh, retaining the consciousness even after the acute effects of, of a substance wear off. And it's, it's not, you know, it's like, okay, how do you enable these experiences to stay with you? How do you take the lessons and apply them to your daily life? How do you change the systems in the world and politics and mental health and science and environmentalism and whatever, like how do you think psychedelically about the systems that are maybe faulty right now that are motivating so many people to seek a mental health treatment Mm so and i see that a lot you know i write about this um about in the the book about rainbow gathering and you know rainbow is sort of like a little bit of a precursor to burning man it's a free gathering that happens it's not a festival but it's like really like um a gathering of like-minded people who come together in a national forest every year around the fourth of july and it's it's like yes you know, psychedelics are part of the culture, but it's, it's really the culture itself is psychedelic. And it's, how do you take the ethos, the concepts of oneness and environmentalism and community and connection to God and nature and yourself, and create a society that actually reflects those as values. And that's what rainbow is, again, it's not perfect. And there's a lot of, um, you know, politics, even in that environment, and ways that it can improve. But Having spent time there, it's like you don't even need to take the psychedelics because you're in an alternate universe and it opens you up. You know, it's a paradigm shift, and I think that's really what we're after. So, integration is part of shifting your own paradigm and living in a way that reflects that you've had these experiences and that you're relating to yourself and what's around you from that. from that place of s- spiritual uh, embodiment,
0: and furthermore, what are, it's related. What's your take, or how do you feel about the the current state of the so called psychedelic renaissance? Um, what-
1: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of an it's a similar co- answer to the last question in that I really hope that what people take away from the psychedelic renaissance is not that they need to be doing more psychedelics but that they really need to like take the ethos of the psychedelics and apply that to the systems, you know, that are currently in need of some upgrading reforms. Um, and so if the psychedelic Renaissance is about decriminalizing psychedelics and pushing uh, research forward and, um, you know, destigmatizing them and, you um, you know, legitimizing their use in therapy and spiritual practice and recreational settings and whatnot, it's like, okay, great, but it's not only about the substances. Now, what are we going to do with that consciousness?
0: Do you feel as though people might be too, uh, you know, too over eager about possibly just, I mean, overall, what what do you think the state of
1: I just I see a lot of um for lack of a better term assholes um in psychedelic space. Thank you. (laughs) And um people who I would like never in a million years feel emotionally safe tripping with. And a lot of people, whether they've done a bunch of psychedelics or did it once and now they're starting a company or whatever nonsense is happening. Sorry if I sound jaded and no. mental, but I just, you know, I grew up in the psychedelic world and I've seen it all and I work in it and I'm just the, you know, it's, it's again, it's like, it's like if psychedelics can like get you to be a good person and like apply the golden rule great. And if they're not doing that, then like maybe try something else, <laughs> you know, like
0: exactly, just
1: like be- doing psychedelics does not make you a good person or a better person. Like you have to,
0: you got to do the work. It's not a cure all right. I mean,
1: yeah, it's not. It's yeah. And, and the thing is, there's also this whole phrase and I kind of go off on this in my book a little bit about doing the work mm-hmm. and you meet people who are also like then excusing themselves from being decent human beings because they're like on a healing journey and they're doing the work and like, You know they get to bypass any responsibility because they have like they can hide behind the journey that they're on for ten years while they're you know like uh, you know excusing themselves from like being decent and kind and um, you know I don't believe in that either. It's like the work never ends and maybe we should you know I don't know if it's I don't know if the word is work you know it doesn't it doesn't have to be doesn't have to you know it can be difficult and challenging and energy consuming but it can also be like fun and light and spiritual and transformative and uplifting and i just feel like the valence of the term work is really capitalistic and kind of takes the culture of capitalism and applies it to psychedelic journeying and and experience and i you know i'm just wary of that so um <laughs> i have a yeah, lot of I critiques and a little esoteric but yeah
0: no i mean uh it's, uh it's a feeling that I have and, and it if you're performing in a ceremony it can really take over the the whole energy of it as you well know for those yeah. people who are listening who have not experienced a, a ceremony And so I am jaded as well. I mean I'm it's one of those fine lines where I'm excited because you have great work of maps and Rick Doblin who uh, like we'd mentioned, or sort of uh, MDMA is what in the third phase, and, and people can have a lot of benefit from that. And But then I also think that they're going back to the more plant medicine of ayahuasca, the ecotourism down in South America is getting out of hand. And so just like we've done in, Western world has done in so many instances in history, we, we're kind of, corrupting the whole beauty of why these things have been so wonderful and the, and the true meaning and, and the spirit of everything's for over a millennia, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, there's definitely a cultural, there's not one psychedelic culture. And I think that we sometimes fall into thinking there is, or that there's some sort of like right way to approach these things, and also like the just you know, the western mindset is by definition like kind of a colonial mindset, and it is. Um, and I think if psychedelics can ask us to do anything, it's like to decolonize our minds from the uh, from sort of the overarching cultural ambiance, um, that primes us and you know i think that also is what leads to a lot of the ways that people look at ecotourism and um you know like what's going on and like what people are do- like i'm not saying it, i i think it's fine that people go to south america and you know whatever but also the way that they're kind of bringing it back or engaging with the cultures there or whatever i just think there needs to be a lot of um you know, uh, uh, paradigm shifting and questioning.
0: I agree. I completely agree. Well, I wanted to touch upon, just for a few minutes at least, and that's probably not enough time, but how we met when I came and introduced myself and while we we're even talking a year and a half later, is uh, your, your talk on Judaism and psychedelics. Could you give sort of a broad stroke or overview of, because it was fascinating and I'd, I'd like to share it with uh, the audience.
1: Thank you. Yeah. So I, um, I guess there was a year and a half ago at this point, I gave a mm-hmm. talk at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas um, about Judaism and psychedelics. And it was a lot of what I put in the talk was sort of what's in my book, but just in a less personal sense. And, you know, I talked about the Jewish psychedelic movement, both, you know, I was talking earlier about the shamanic roots of Judaism. I was talking about Ram Dass and the whole Hindu movement. Right. But there's also been a lot of other um, threads of Jewish psychedelia um, throughout the ages. And, you know, for instance, the Hasidic movement was started by Rabbi Yisrael, um It's known as the Bol Shem Tov, um, Master of the Good Name in English. And he, would go out into the fields and sort of talk to God, and he was an herbalist and he would smoke from a pipe. and you know that he he basically advocated for a direct relationship with God, um you know, in an unmediated way that didn't require fancy academic study necessarily or to be mediated by another rabbi, but just that like a simple person could connect um, with with the with consciousness greater than yourself um and you know that that is really like a psychedelic notion right absolutely is that like and you know i i think god god itself himself herself them themselves whatever god is psychedelic
0: yeah. um
1: and i yeah, so I kind of presented all these different threads in, in Judaism. I mean, another one that has really been influential in my life is a grandson of the Baal Shem Tov named Rabbi Nachman um, from Ukraine. Uh, he's the father of Breslov, um, which is a type of Hasidic sect. And um, every year, people, followers of Rabbi Nachman go to Uman, where his grave is um, in Ukraine for Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. And it's sort of known as this Hasidic burning man. And you know again a lot of his teachings are just just by virtue of learning what he has to say is so mind expansive and kindles the soul in ways that are just so beyond what any psychedelic has any ever done for me and so i've noticed that again through the practice and study and community gathering of you know within different parts of the jewish world specifically hasidic and kabbalistic uh branches um you know you really can get high off the religion um and high off the practice of of judaism um you know and then i think in that talk i went over you know like even the instances in in jewish text and torah itself that are psychedelic like the most obvious being that um, so the Jews learned or the, the Hebrew Israelite tribe or whatever learned the acacia extraction technology from the Egyptians when they were slaves in Egypt. And um, acacia is a shrub that is native to the middle East and contains DMT. And, you know, a lot of people like to joke or say, or whatever, like, Oh, the burning bush was DMT. Like Moses was tripping, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, whether that's true or not is another story. And also whether he was like tripping or not. Does it matter? Because the thing is doing DMT doesn't necessarily make you a prophet, right? Like there's other elements that go into that. Um, but anyways, the whole story of how the Jews received Torah, um, 10 commandments, whatever, is that it was this collective psychedelic experience. Like Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. That comes back down with Torah. Like he, um, the, the, the tribe at the bottom was experiencing something called synesthesia, which is like seeing the sounds and hearing the colors. And it was just like this collective altered experience. And the result of that was Torah. And, and I like to say that Torah, like the, the practice of Judaism as distilled through text is the integration of the psychedelic experience and the way to actually harness that like peak ecstasy that they experienced is through little things that we can do every day. Um, you know, the the word halacha, which is, um, you know, the, how you talk about Jewish law really means to walk with God. So how are we kind of, and again, like how do we take this like peak experience of God, psychedelic, whatever, and integrate it little, little, little by little. And that's the practice of religion, or at least the practice of Judaism as I know it. So I'm trying to think what else <laughs> is was in that book um, or that that presentation. Well, I, I, think th- I, yeah.
0: I took I took pictures of it. If, uh, if yeah, you, yeah, humor, we can h- go there. Humor me. Um, for instance, uh, you talk about the uh, Yiddish for crazy shrimps. Do you remember that part?
1: gonna <laughs> shremlich. Yeah. Shremlich, I think it's called in Yiddish. Yeah.
0: Yes, I couldn't pronounce that. I didn't want to butcher it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: What about the vision at the Holy of Holies?
1: Oh, right. So, so pretty much going back to this Acacia thing, it was um, so the high priest of Jerusalem, when there was still a temple um, before it was destroyed. So, again, we're still talking like biblical times and whatnot. um, Every Yom Kippur, which is the holiday of atonement, would go into a chamber called the Holy of Holies and Hot box and self in there, um, with sacred incense, um, that was made from a very particular blend. And the incense itself, you know, was definitely entheogenic, entheogen being a substance that elicits a spiritual experience. And it's debated whether cannabis was part of the concoction or was maybe like helping the smoke rise. Um, and that the ketoret or the incense was burned on the coals of acacia wood. So again, there might have been DMT in there and whatever. And the high priest would meanwhile just like be. Hotboxing boxing himself in this chamber atoning on behalf of the Jewish people in on the holiest day of the year. Um, I think they even like would put like some sort of chain to his ankle to make sure that he like to just confirm that he was passed out, that he didn't pass out or that he was still alive or lived right. it. Um So there's a lot of instances of an theogenic experience in, you know, ancient Jewish practice. Um, so that's definitely something to look at. Yeah.
0: Uh well before we run out of time so the book it's going to be released when exactly
1: On the 7th of November so you can pre-order it now it'll get to your house um or you know find it in a bookstore or yeah come to one of my events <laughs> um buy it there in person
0: Well that, I'm glad you brought that up I was going to ask you are you going to have a lot of uh events to for the book Yeah
1: I will I'm I'm Working it all out now, um, I'm going to be in Miami, um, at a conference called Wonderland around on November 9th, um, November 12th, I'll be back in New York city. I'll be having an event at the psychedelic assembly in midtown Manhattan. Um, I think I'll probably be having an event in LA on, uh, the 18th of November. Um, and I think I'm going to be in Austin, Texas, um, around November 28th. Um, so just, you know, follow me on social media at Madison Margolin on Instagram and, um, you know, Facebook is my name and whatever. And, uh, and then I'll be back in New York, you know, hopefully we'll be, I'm going to be in London, um, in December. Um, I was planning to go back to Israel in December, but, uh, that remains to be seen right now. Um, and, you know, hopefully there will be other things in the Bay area and whatever. So just stay on the lookout.
0: great. and uh, you said November 28th for Austin.
1: I'll, it's still being. I'll try to make that. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Whatever, whenever it may be. Um, mm-hmm. Well, listen, Madison, I can't thank you enough, and I really enjoyed the book, and I know that the audience will as well. Like I said, it's beautifully written, and I thank enjoyed you. it. So thank you so much for your time.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast.
0: Absolutely.